from a secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard, this is Craft. I'm your host, Doug Dangler. The author of four novels and one memoir biography, Suzanne Bernay teaches creative writing at Boston College and at the Rainier Writing Workshop. Her first novel, A Crime in the Neighborhood, won Britain's Orange Prize in 1999. Her latest novel, The Dogs of Littlefield, is a satire of suburban life that the Kirkus Review called a comedy of manners par excellence and was long listed for the Bailey's Prize. And in a review of the book, the New York Times called Bernay a master of psychological menace. Suzanne Bernay will be a guest with the Thurber House on Thursday, September 22nd. Welcome to Craft, Suzanne Bernay. Thank you very much. So, Dr. Clarice Watkins is uh, the at the center of the Dogs of Littlefield. Tell me about her story. Tell me about the Dogs of Littlefield. Clarice Watkins is a, a visitor from the University of Chicago who is a, a social anthropologist, and she is looking for material for a new book. And she notices among her colleagues that everybody is entrenched in writing about the woes of the world and instability everywhere. And she decides that she'd like to go a different direction and write about good quality of life. And so she goes about looking for the most stable place she can find in the country. And she sees on a Wall Street Journal list of the 20 best places to live in America at number six, the town of Littlefield, Massachusetts, which in addition to being um, a, a nice, suburb of, of Boston with a good college and good schools and handsome old Victorian houses also happens to be home to 1% of the nation's psychotherapists. And so she decides that this must be the most stable place on the planet, and she decides to study the population there to see how global instability will affect even what she believes are people who must be well-medicated and psychologically well-policed. <laughs> Well medicated. I like that as a uh, a basis uh, underlying what would be the most stable place in the U.S. If your world outlook includes the most stable place in the U.S. as being fraught with problems, does that, uh, as the book progresses, as it becomes clearer that it uh, has a lot of internal issues, is that maybe say something about your world outlook? Well, I think my world outlook isn't very unusual. I think most people these days feel beset by problems that they don't really understand how to do anything about. Um, and they're surrounded by, of course, all the problems we all have in any community, whether it's a, a suburban one or an urban one or one in this country or one somewhere else where you're worried about your children and your neighbors and, and getting to work on time and whether your ice maker is working. And at the same time, you're aware of huge issues that are confusing and seem to be pressing ever closer, climate change, terrorism. And I was interested in looking at this in a comic way. I think often issues of anxiety are treated very seriously or very earnestly in novels, and I, I found myself getting increasingly impatient with that because I think people easily get jaded to the idea of, of other people being anxious, other people being unhappy. And I thought if I looked at the issue of menace through a social comedy, it might kind of wake up the whole, the whole issue, which I think is actually the central issue of our lives right now, is that we all feel menaced all the time and we don't know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. And I, I decided with this book to 
think about it in terms of, of a very small issue that is nevertheless absorbing my little community of, of Littlefield, and I chose that name on purpose, they have a, a dog park problem where they have a, a park at the center of town and people would like, some people would like to have part of it be off-leash and that has divided the town into anti- and pro-dog factions and becomes ever more absorbing to, to those people and divisive. And I thought that would be an interesting way of, of looking at how people respond to threats to their community, especially a community that thinks of itself as sheltered and somewhat of a refuge from everything else. So that's the way the, the novel started. And you're right, it does come very much out of things that I sense going on around me in small ways as well as large ones. Mm-hmm. What kind of research did you do for the book? Do you live in a, a small town that uh, might be described as bucolic in the way that Littlefield is? Is this something you had to go <laughs> stay at a place? Uh, because I, I believe you live outside Boston. I do, and I must be very careful here to say that my town <laughs> is not Littlefield, although it does share certain characteristics with Littlefield, including we had a huge fight over a dog park. Okay. Um, so... In terms of research, I have a dog and used to go to a dog park. (laughs) The best kind of research. Yes, and I attended quite a few town hall meetings that had to do with the subject of a dog park and witnessed angry outbursts on both sides. So I I was already embedded, um, you could say. Mm -hmm. But in in terms of research, I don't think you have to do very much right now except read the paper every day to get a sense of, um, of the ways that people are feeling unstable or feeling the world's instability. So I, had, I, I am familiar with this kind of town, that's certainly true, but I'm also familiar with the, with the idea that this is affecting, this kind of instability is affecting most towns, and, and as I was reading from this book in different places in the country, most of the time somebody came up to me and said, how did, did you write this about my town, or how did you know this about my town? And almost everybody had, in particular, a story about a fight over a dog park. I don't know, I just fell into that, but that seems to have been, <laughs> um, I hit a nerve somehow. Right. The modern uh, paranoia or uh, neuroses about dog parks is a theme that will be in more and more literature. It's funny, I've been to uh, <laughs> uh, the dog park near my house, and uh, when I had a lab, it was an entirely different, different experience than having a beagle, because, you know, labs yeah. are, are <laughs> friendly and beagles are insane, and, uh, oh. you know, or you're always worried about getting more into fights, so it... it you know, it's the kind of dog, too, not just the off-the-leash yeah. uh, experience. So you've also written uh, things uh, that are in a different genre, and you wrote a book about your grandmother and coming to understand your, I believe, your grandfather through that experience. And uh, that uh, struck me as a very interesting, different kind of writing. It's called Missing Lucille, Memories of the Grandmother I Never Knew. So uh, tell me a little bit about that and the ways that you came to write that. Well, that book was actually an attempt to understand my father a little bit better. He lost his mother when he was six, and he grew up 
claiming that he'd never had a mother. He was very angry about not having a mother and about various things that happened in his life um, that he believed were directly related to not having a mother. And it was a refrain I heard all through my childhood, which was painful for a child to think about not having a mother. I was very attached to my own mother. And he had a life that was marked by enormous frustrations, which, again, he attributed to that early loss. And at, toward the end of his life, he was quite obsessed with her, and yet he didn't know anything about her. And I remember sitting in his apartment one day, as he was talking again about never having a mother, and I said, you know, you had a mother, you just don't know who she was. And there was not much about her that I could directly find out. He was obsessed with just sort of the absence. And he truly didn't know very much about her. And all of the information I might have gotten at one point, my grandfather had kept everything that had belonged to her, including letters and journals and essays that she'd written in college, all had gotten thrown out when my grandfather died when I was 13. But I remember going into the attic of his house in Cincinnati and picking a few things to keep uh, when we were there for the funeral. And years later, that box of things that happened to be a fruitcake tin um, turned up in my mother's garage, and it was full of things about my grandmother, little things. I had taken a charm bracelet. I had a, a pin that turned out to be a sorority pin of hers from Wellesley College. I had what turned out to be negatives from a, from a year she had spent in France directly after World War I as part of a relief unit. I had a number of small things like that that all pointed in certain directions. And I decided to see if I could find out more about who she was, looking into the time periods that she lived through and places she had been and things that I knew she had done, even if I didn't have much primary material. I had one letter that she had written uh, two weeks before she died, but that was it in a couple journal pages that had been sort of torn out and left in this box. So I, I embarked on this, this enterprise, this journey, this strange quest to try to find my father's mother to see what that might do for him. And it certainly brought my father and I a lot closer together because he became fascinated with this project. But it was a really interesting way of also tying myself to certain enormous events in history that I didn't think I had any relationship to, like mm -hmm. World War I, for instance. And she became a kind of portal or aperture into into the early part of the 20th century and the late part of the 19th century. And, um, and that's kind of what that book became. It was a question about how much you actually need to know about uh, to understand a person, what do you actually have to have at your disposal. And it started to turn into something a lot larger from there. That's a really interesting view about how much you need to know about somebody. What did you think was sort of the minimum? I gather that you went past the minimum of what you needed to know, but what would you say is what, as a writer, you really want to know about somebody in order to know them? Um, because it seems like you're making kind of a connection between if you were to write somebody as a character, what 
what do you need to know about them? And as a, to know them as a person, it's sort of similar. What do you need to know about that person? Well, I think you need to know about the things they attach themselves to, the, some of the choices that they make. I think it really helps to know where they grew up. I think that's always important, and, and the time period they grew up in. So what, what was surrounding them? What are some of the cultural, political, economic forces that were shaping their family and shaping them? And also the regional aspect. Um, Cincinnati was a very important place for me to think about as I was thinking about my grandmother and the type of family that she grew up in. They were German-Americans and who her father was, what the expectations for the children were, and then to think about some of the big choices she made for herself, like to go to Wellesley College in 1907 when the decision to go to college was a huge one for, for young women to make. She was the only person in her family to go to college, including her, her father. And so what, what goes into a decision like that? What was she hoping for? What was she thinking about? And so, for instance, I read all four years of the Wellesley College newspaper for the time she was there to think about who she was hearing, who was coming to campus, what kind of courses she would have been taking, what was absorbing her classmates, what were the, the scandals and the triumphs of that particular four-year period of Wellesley College. Um, and then another huge choice she made, which was to join this Wellesley College relief unit in 1919 and, and go to France by herself with this group of, of young women to live in this tiny, absolutely destroyed town um, north of Paris to, to help reconstruct an area that was almost obliterated during that war. So those kinds of things of getting to know what, was, what draws somebody, what, what were the big choices they made, what were the things they decided not to do, um, and where they lived and the time period they lived in, I think those are the essential things to, to find out about. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned that this brought you and your father closer together. Did he have a sense of greater belonging or knowing his mother better by the end of it? What kind of effect did it have on him? I think he really did start to believe that he knew her better. And I think he, he stopped thinking of her as an absence and started to think of her as someone who, who lost the chance to know him. I mean, I, I thought that was a pretty enormous shift. He, in the beginning, when he was, he would try to talk to her. That was one of the strange things that started to come out of it and kind of amazing things is that he, in the last year of his life, began to have these long conversations with her. I had given him some photographs that I had found of her. He didn't have any pictures of her even. And he had a large one near the chair where he liked to sit. And often for about an hour a day, he would talk to her. And it started with all sorts of complaints about the lousy childhood he had. But it evolved eventually into the story of all the things that she had missed. And... I, I thought that was a pretty extraordinary development. That sounds almost like self-therapy, uh, you know, that he's really engaging in some sort of um, cognitive behavioral uh, issues to, to work out. Maybe this is something that the 1% of the psychotherapists who live in Littlefield... <laughs> 
would really have a good time with uh, a description. <laughs> yeah. Suzanne Bernay, thank you very much for talking to me today about your search for your grandmother and about the dogs of Littlefield. And we'll look forward to you being at the Thurber House on September 22nd. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to my visit. For more information from my guests, visit www.crafttheshow.com. This is Doug Dangler. Until next time, be creative. <laughs>